the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to this special edition of the Lloyd's List podcast, live from Posidonia in Athens. We're recording a few bonus episodes as we work our way around the Posidonia events this week, and I'm delighted to say that we're joined this evening by our special guest, Knut Orbeck nielsen Maritime Chief Executive of DNVGL. Welcome. Thank you very much. I've also got uh, Anastasios Adamopoulos and Nigel Lowry with us. Hello, guys. Hello, Richard. Good evening. So, uh, it's the almost the end of day one uh, uh, on, on Posidonia, and uh, we're here with DNVGL. We've heard a lot about technology today. I wasn't expecting that in Posidonia. This is a fairly conservative gathering. We've mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast already, but it seems technology... Uh, the role of technology and how it's changing the industry is really a focus for, for Posidonia this week. Is that, are you getting that vibe from, uh, from the clients and uh, your customers? Well, I think that's quite natural because this is uh, so much of the content of the conversations that we've been having the last year. It's really a lot about technology, it's a lot about the fuel options, it's a lot about cyber safety. Uh, it's a lot about digitalization, so naturally this also uh, impacts Posidonia. Mm. And you've um, been talking for a while about the sort of the changing role and nature of class. You've identified a few macro trends that you're talking about here this week. Can you give a flavour of, of, of what it is that you think is really shifting the, the dial for class at the moment? Well, I think uh, I've said a few times that we are really facing tectonic shifts in both market technology and regulation. And I think this is really the setting in which uh, the entire maritime industry will be you know, working with over the next few decades. And um, to start on digitalization and connectivity, I think this is really an area where we will see um, a lot of uh, progress in order to gain efficiencies mm. uh, during the operations of, of vessels and fleets. But it's, I mean, it's interesting because the, the, the role of class is uh, it's no longer just a question of making sure that the individual technologies work together. You're, you're dealing with an industry in flux in many respects. In some respects, you're actually going ahead of regulation with some owners. You know, you're walking ahead of automation that's you know only in its nascent stages at the IMO. You're uh, really defining some of these things yourself before it's ever hit the regulatory framework. I mean, is that that must have good and bad implications for you in terms of how you make your planning? Well, I think when it comes to the role of class, uh, I think in a, in the world that is spinning so much faster, also class has to develop and has to develop fast. Mm. And one of the areas is automation. And for me, it's never been a question of about unmanned vessels, but it's really about you know what can we benefit out of ha- ha- having higher degrees of auto- auto- autonomy on both the vessels. Mm, okay. Uh, and um, I mean, Anis, you, you and I were uh, in, in, in the um, Capital Link event earlier today, where you know we heard some uh, fairly conservative voices from the from the um, Ship Owners Association. Right. What, what, what did you make of that? Yeah, I think not um, obviously there, but uh, a lot of the big organisations were bemoaning essentially the, the regulatory predicament that the industry is in. Uh, we also had a big ship owner, George Porterfield, come out uh, and speak out against scrubbers. So a lot of the big discussion was again focused around regulation and technology. Um, and I guess I found that interesting again because it's clear that these are things that are impacting the business decisions uh, going forward. So I, I just, I'm, I'm guessing with that in mind, um, are you having now more, more of your clients uh, come to you for advice on things like that, to, to, you know, to ask whether things like scrubbers um, are worth it in the long run, and, and what sort of feedback are you giving them on these technologies? 
Yeah, I think there's been a, a lot of interest over the past uh, year uh, on how to meet the, the global sulfur cap. And unfortunately, there is no, say, right. silver or magic wand that is, uh, you know, right. uh, yeah. resolving this issue for everyone. It's uh, really about what sort of trade you're in, which geographies you, your vessels operate in. Uh, and there are many different options available. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is truly a, a challenging situation to, to find the best uh, possible answer, right. and especially you know, for vessels that will be around for another 10 to 20 years. Is it a, a little bit of a double-edged sword? Because uh, you, I think you mentioned that uh, the role of class is possibly even more important today than ever. And with this very, very complex landscape going forward, uh, is it the case that not only do ship owners turn to you a little bit more for guidance, but do they also become more frustrated that you're not actually providing the answers? And possibly that class isn't, you know, perhaps always shielding them uh, with the right data, with the science, if you like, shielding them from. Um, uh, the regulation that they see sometimes as more political than science-based? Well, to, to start at where, where, where you ended, I believe that um, if you look at the broader picture, so I think although if you look at the carbon emission uh, resolution that was made in the IMO recently, uh, I think we, we should all be happy that the IMO reached a consensus. Mm. Uh, the alternative would have been different regional regulations which would have been extremely difficult for an international trade like shipping. Uh, having said that, I, I think we all have to realize that there is a balance between the political ambitions uh, not of, of the IMO but of, of society at large and what the practical implications of that say political ambition is or, or has on the shipping industry and these days uh, we are faced with a lot of difficult uh, regulations without yet practical solutions and that is uh, naturally a challenge for everyone working in the maritime industry. Mm. Yes, uh, yeah, there, there, there's certainly um, more than a, a, a small part of politics there you know, rather than just the technical regulations. Um, but. I mean, in, in, in terms of one of the, sort of the, the big uh, you know, sound bites that's coming out of a lot of these things, everybody is talking about LNG as a fuel this week, mm -hmm. which surprises me because you, know, you, you were claiming, I think, uh, you know, a thousand LNG uh, powered vessels by 2020. We're closer to sort of something around 200. Well, that was back in 2010. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, okay. This oh, prediction is haunting me quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you were very upfront about it. Absolutely. Right? But the point is that, you know, judging by the, um, the, the, the way that people are talking so enthusiastically and vociferously about, uh, you know, LNG as a fuel, you, you would assume that, you know, that it accounts for half the fleet, and yet it really, really doesn't. Mm. And I, I guess the concern is that given that the IMO has now effectively set the clock running on, on zero carbon, um, you know, is, is LNG really just a question of interim measures? Uh, or is it really part of a mix of a, a, a generational shift that we're going to have to make? Well, I think that LNG as fuel certainly has a transitional role in this, as we do not yet have, you know, alternatives that are carbon-free. Mm. So, and we all know that uh, that gas as fuel will not bring us over the finish line in 2050 uh, and meet the targets. 
but it needed is, uh, say, a transitional option that is available. And we know that for certain segments, it could be quite a viable solution. Mm. Uh, if you are a trampoline and you don't really know where you are, uh, where you where your routing is, it's naturally a, a lot more challenging to select uh, gas fuel. Well, it is, and while there are, you know, proponents of the LNG fuel thesis that say actually we can work around this, this is uh, the live technology. We're actually, you know, fully uh, up for this. I still find it slightly hard to believe that the uh, chicken and egg infrastructure debate is over yet. You know, we haven't got sufficient infrastructure for this to be a widespread technology. And the wider question I have is, you know, is this um, really a, one of those issues in shipping where, you know, there is no real first mover advantage and therefore we're not going to see massive investment because you know, the industry is by and large, a, a bunch of regulatory laggards. Everybody leaves it to the last minute to see what everyone else is doing because there's no real economic advantage in taking a first move on this. No, I think th this is really at the heart of the issue because uh, it does come with a lot of uh, investments and uh, naturally these days investments uh, are something that you don't throw around. So, um, yeah, that is a, a true challenge. Wonderful. Well, listen, Knut, thank you very much for joining us on the uh, special edition of the podcast. We wish you well for the rest of Posidonia, and uh, thanks for joining us. And thank you very much for having me. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.